I'm Brent Stafford and welcome to another edition of RegWatch on GFN.TV. COP10, the conference of the parties to the WHO Framework Convention on Tobacco Control, was expected to issue a final agreement on implementing new bans and restrictions on safer nicotine products such as nicotine vapes and heated tobacco products. Instead, delegates from the over 140 countries in attendance punted the decision to COP11 in two years' time, while blaming Big Tobacco for promoting a narrative that frames them as safer alternatives to traditional cigarettes, supporting tobacco harm reduction. Joining us today to talk through COP10 and tobacco control spin on the outcome is Lindsay Stroud and Martin Cullop from the Taxpayers Protection Alliance out of Washington, D.C. It's great to see you guys. Great to see you, Brent. Saw a lot of you, Martin, during our coverage, and both of you were a part of the team from the Taxpayers Protection Alliance that organized and delivered the Good Cop, Bad Cop counter-conference to COP10 in Panama. TPA hosted nearly two dozen tobacco harm reduction experts representing 14 different countries at the counter-conference, providing running commentary and reaction to COP10. Now, as I mentioned, RegWatch streamed live each day during COP week, and you can find those episodes on our website, YouTube, and X. Martin and David Williams hosted our coverage. So, Lindsay, let's start with you. How did the event go, and what did you think of COP10? Well, I think a good COP went really well um, for being the first type of conference um, that I've ever helped organize and put together and schedule um, and making sure the experts were (laughs) where they needed to be while we were live streaming everything. And it seems that we got under the nerve of our um, adversaries and the space um, while they never explicitly sat there and said that it was good cop, they did call us a counter, you know, parallel cop event, which is Great. That's what we were designing it to actually be. Um, didn't see much of COP10. I know that we were planning on, like we had on Monday, we had the opening. We were trying to do the opening session and live stream it for people who were live streaming with us. And the WHO couldn't even get their stuff together with a $5 million budget. It's kind of amazing. We were ready to go to live stream it ourselves. Um, so we, I was really hoping to get some of our, you know, reacting to what those countries were going to say Unfortunately, that didn't happen, but we were able to see some of what was happening and being able to respond in real time, I think was really awesome. And I love that there was a delay at everything. Um, Well, I love and I hate it. I, you know, I mean, it seems that their conference really, they focused on environment and kids. um, When you're looking at how many students were there, I know in the closing address, um, Adriana Blanco, I can't pronounce her last name, uh, you know, brought up the kids and called them guardians of our future um, and actually quoted them by saying that, you know, it's not worthwhile um, for, you know, we don't even care about the smokers or the people who smoke, but they sat there and said, smokers skip, so don't be mad at me, um, that, you know, if one kid gets addicted. And that was kind of the theme I was getting out of our good cop was that, the WHO is not listening to the people, the 1.3 billion adults who are st- who are smoking, continue to smoke. Here is the science, the consumers, and the policy behind these alternatives that you know the WHO shuns out. And Martin, what was your take on COP10 after closed? Um, well, it was the, the the normal chaos. The first day always seems to have chaos. They had. Uh, elected senators from Brazil turning up who got refused entry. There were there were some bloggers who wanted to um, you know interview some delegates and did, but they they got thrown out by security. Uh, and there was um, uh, there was journalists who were who were there, there were people that, that Lindsay said you know they were called I think they were global youth voices which are uh, indirectly funded by Michael Bloomberg turned up so they were astroturf youth voices uh, and there were journalists there who went to say you know what what's happening. With you guys oh we're not talking to you we only talk to accredited journalists so they've been well briefed haven't they you know they're not there as a um they weren't there as a a a, a, a movement you know grassroots movement they've been placed there by someone uh, and they've been well instructed not to talk to certain journalists which was which was quite funny um but overall I think they're still paranoid that the um, the bulletins that came out of the GATC, which is the Global Alliance for Tobacco Control, uh, I think the first journal, 90% of it 
apart from the welcome to COP at the top and saying welcome to delegates, welcome to Panama, the rest of it all had articles talking about tobacco tobacco industry interference. They're just obsessed with trying to smear anyone who might disagree with them. So when you start off on that sort of footing, then you're going to get into uh, all sorts of pickles when it comes to countries who don't agree with you, which, which seem to be quite a few of them at this conference, as I'm sure we'll discuss. One of the things that I noticed, I mean, Martin's been following this a lot more than I have, is how the WHO actually is shaming. Uh, not only are they shutting out the adults who smoke, but they're shaming the countries that are like supporting the products that have actually helped these adults quit smoking. And it just makes you wonder, what is the purpose of the FCTC anymore? I mean, I, I, when I was reading some history on it yesterday when working at an op-ed, I mean, the genesis of this started in 1993. I mean, and that was when we were understanding the the harms related to combustible cigarettes. And even in 2003, when it finally, you know, the people signed it, 2005, when it became enacted, like, again, we didn't have this massive array, you know, explosion of alternatives to cigarettes at the commercial level. You had nicotine replacement therapies. You had snus that was being used, especially like in limited countries, but the e-cigarette, the modern e-cigarette really wasn't out around then. Um, and it's like it's warped from their initial what they were supposed to be doing, which was reducing the burden related to smoking. Um, and thank God that they didn't. The one I, Martin was that in Articles 9 and 10 when trying to redefine the term of smoke. So, Lindsay, you just mentioned Article 9 and 10. Now, we've talked about this, you know, to some length over the course of the last year or two. These were proposals supported by the FCTC Secretariat, which include banning vaping flavors, banning open system, which is the refillable products, banning disposable vapes, banning nicotine salt e-liquid, and redefining the term smoke to include smoke-free vapor, as well as some more stiffer regulations and taxing on all nicotine products. This is what was up on the table. Martin, you you know, Enlins, you've been on our show many times in the last two years talking about these articles and the danger that they pose to vaping. But what happened? Did they make a decision on these? Well, there were the two aspects. You had Article 9, 9 and 10, which is to do with contents of products and emissions, you know, testing, um, that kind of thing, and holding tobacco industry to account for, for the products they've got. Um but there was also a discussion on novel and emerging products and there were a whole load of reports came out which mentioned all these threats but um you know they, they were insisting that the articles 9 and 10 were not to do with novel and emerging products but one of the reports that that was attached to that agenda item was was fctc cop 10 7 which which did spoke, speak about flavors and how they they created um, youth uptake, and they also mentioned pouches and and other things. So, you know, there was a threat, and and what Article Nine and Ten the discussion was about was about whether to have an expert group, which is fully controlled by the WHO with cherry picked scientists and what have you, or whether to reactivate a working group, which was suspended uh, in 2018, and the working group is is open to any party. To the convention to volunteer to join and, and have the discussion. Obviously, the WHO wanted an expert group, and and the parties couldn't decide or couldn't achieve consensus on whether to allow the WHO to have that. There was a lot of a uh, lot of uh, objections to that, but we knew that was going to come anyway because they surveyed the parties in 2020 and 21, and a majority said they wanted a working group. So the novel emerging products item was just to note. The reports and the reports had all those threats in them but the one for articles 9 and 10 they wanted a decision um to go ahead with an expert group and they, they couldn't come to a consensus they they debated for four or five days and in the end they've decided we're going to have to talk about this at cop 11. um and that and that's complicated in its own right by the fact that there was a proposal by st kitts and nevis which kind of threw a cat amongst the pigeons in that discussion for articles 9 and 10. It's all really quite interesting and political, and I suppose we'll get to that. Or do you want to talk about it now? Yeah, well, let's talk about it now, and I I do have these statements. I thought maybe first to play uh, that clip from the opening session uh, that discussed the need for a whole of government and whole of society change. The overarching theme for the FCTC COP10 together promoting healthier lives, 
is an extremely important narrative that is not only a priority for WHO general program of work for the next couple of years, it also serves as a good basis for mainstreaming WHO FCTC into various health and development paradigms. While significant progress has been made in recent years, there is no room for complacency as this program is uneven. The moment a government believes it has won the battle against tobacco, the industry seizes the opportunity to manipulate health policies and promote their deadly products. E-cigarettes are the exception to these positive trends. Here, we are increasingly seeing data showing a rapid increase in uptake by children and young people. For this reason, WHO issued a call to action in December 2023, which urges strong, decisive action to prevent the uptake of e-cigarettes based on the growing body of evidence of its use by children and adolescents. We continue to need a health promotion approach to tobacco control. Countering tobacco industry tactics necessitates the successful promotion of health and well-being through complementary and essential approaches, such as health in all policies, whole of government approaches, and whole of society approaches. You know, the article 910, they're discussing it. The WHO was trying to, like I said, with FC, the report FCTC COP 10 slash 7, was trying to sort of squeeze some some aspects of of uh, novel emerging products into there, and and you know they say oh it wasn't anything to do with those products, but you, but context and emissions they they were trying to roll it into the same thing, and then St Kitts and Nevis submitted a pro proposal on that agenda item that Article 1D on harm reduction should be considered, and that kind of really just. Um, muddied the waters all over the place but that's that's the discussion that's ongoing and they couldn't finish it so they're gonna to have to have that discussion again in cop 11 and i think we should we should congratulate st kitts and nevis for for putting that sort of proposal in yeah let's take a listen to that statement thank you um, madam president st kitts and nevis is very pleased to be part of the global tobacco control community aiming at protecting present and future generations from the devastating health, social, environmental, and economic consequences of tobacco consumption. And so we are very pleased to be part of this debate today. At our own domestic situation, we have seen a reduction in smoking prevalence to below 9%. But despite this, globally, we have seen the proliferation of a number of products. One of the concerns that we have, really, is that when dealing with novel and emerging tobacco and nicotine products that are used commonly by the tobacco industry, there is the misuse of the so-called harm production or reduced risk. And this is claiming to attract both smokers and non-smokers to its new products by saying that these novel products expose their users to less harmful constituents, which eventually lead to the renormalization of smoking. And so although the convention that guides us itself describes tobacco control as a range of supply, demand, and harm reduction strategies, the public health community must define these terms in a more detailed manner. It is important to note, however, that the proven concept of harm reduction plays a significant role 
in other areas of public health, such as sexually transmitted infections, HIV AIDS, drug and alcohol addiction, and in fact, air pollution. And I want to associate myself personally with this because of my earlier experience as being the spokesman for the Caribbean region on matters of health inclusive of HIV AIDS pandemic. The tobacco control community should not reject the idea of harm reduction per se, but we should learn from the best practices of proven public health oriented measures while preventing the tobacco industry from hijacking that important term. Having above in mind, we would like to present a proposal, a proposal to establish in line of the Article 5.3 of the Saint Convention. Kitson Nevis, please confine yourself to the agenda and right. hand. And we this are not the proposing a working group, which I intend it to spend not the more time, time for a proposal. Please uh, give us a, an update on your global on progress in right. some kids. And the update is that yes. I shall deliver a proposal which will assist us in moving forward. Not not Thank now, Thank you. Not now, Thank not you. now at all. Yes. Not now. Thank you. Not now. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you, St. Kitts. So, Mart, what's the relevance of that? Because, I mean, he clearly said tobacco harm reduction is a tool of the tobacco industry. Um, so why was that such a big win felt by those who support tobacco harm reduction? Well, you see that the, the uh, chair was trying to cut him off. Now, technically speaking, he's he's presenting this in the right in the wrong place. He's meant to be talking about his, his country's efforts towards tobacco control. But he was expressing expressing uh, uh, a that he was he was going to be bringing in a proposal to talk about harm reduction and that the WHO should not dismiss harm reduction. What I found interesting about that clip is looking at some of the faces around him, there were some that seemed quite shocked. There were some were actually smiling and laughing. The Canada delegation were were, were kind of laughing because uh, Canada is, is fairly, fairly good on harm reduction. So I think you know, he kind of lobbed a grenade in there and um, he wasn't the only one. There were a few different countries which did mention harm reduction. So the WHO is trying to dismiss harm reduction completely and say it's it's just a, a tool of the tobacco industry. But there were some countries who were saying, well, you have to look at this. You know, we're looking at this. We're regulating. Philippines was another one. Guatemala, I think, said some things. Armenia, El Salvador, uh, um, New Zealand. There were, there were plenty of them. But he's he's kind of saying what what many countries did not want to say. And, he's, and he, he went ahead with it. They did introduce a proposal and they, they put it into the agenda item um, for Articles 9 and 10. And they were discussing it all week. So they never came to a consensus. So, um, yeah, congratulations to them. And, and it's nice to see some common sense being injected into proceedings. Lindsay, you spoke uh, with a lot of the experts that came down to good cop, bad cop. What was your impression of how they were taking in the conference? They thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I, a lot of them, I think even our bona fide experts who've been doing a circle, you know, around all of the conferences, I think were really impressed with being 2.2 kilometers away from where the conference was. We, and I mean, we definitely were shut out from the conference. One of our experts, I won't give out their name. It was one of our consumer experts. I uh, took a, an Uber out to, to the convention center uh, and, were was shut away. I mean, like you know, like far away from like even getting to it um, with all the security on there. But um, it would have been nice to see more delegates, um, especially we had over fourteen countries represented, not one hundred and forty like the WHO, but we had fourteen countries represented at our event. It would have been nice to see some of the delegates come out. Um, from their respective countries to actually hear from, you know, the consumers, the science, the policy related to these alternatives to cigarettes that have, you know, helped reduce the burden of combustible tobacco. Martin, there was a couple of uh, things that happened during the conference that I want to get your comment on. Obviously, this wasn't a transparent conference, even though COPT 
like to use that term to describe it. Um, there was an issue with the Panamanian government uh, and and some problems with some tobacco harm reduction materials being handed out. What happened there? Um, there was a report in in the local news that uh, four hotels have been raided because there were pamphlets and T-shirts, and they they, they described them as advertising um, harmful products. But what it turned out to be was it was just um, consumer advocates who were in those hotels who were who were who were there because they genuinely wanted to maybe speak to some delegates. They had some materials with them which had you know information on harm reduction. I've got. I've got one example here, which I don't know if you can see it, um, which is is just, uh, I mean, if you look on the back here, you you see it says greetings. Making sure I get it in front of the camera. Uh, you know, uh, greetings delegations to the COP10 and the FCTC, and it's signed at the bottom. Um, best regards, nicotine users. Um, now I. These were the sort of things they were they were hoping to engage with with delegates and and make their case, uh, but the Panamanian government went around and tried to shut them down. Um, it's it's really quite quite scary, you know, that you you you're in this you're in this country. You're trying to make your views known, and the Panamanian government is trying to say that what you're doing is illegal. I mean, this is a freedom of speech issue, if nothing else. Um, but it was just polite polite. Uh, uh, um, polite pamphlets to try and get some attention and to try and, you know, get get into part of the debate. Um, and the T-shirts obviously were T-shirts worn by by those. I mean, there was a couple of delegates at our conference who had had um, clothes which advertised their consumer advocacy group, but they changed them to anonymise them so they didn't say the word vapes or anything else because they knew these, these uh, stringent rules were in place. But it says something about a country where where you you're not even allowed to discuss this because COP10 is in town, and and the WHO surely should be ashamed of that. I mean, they should be. <laughs> you know, if I was in you know uh, in charge of a conference where people were being um, you know brutalised like this and ra- hotels raided to try and stop them even trying to engage with delegates, then um, I'd be ashamed. But they obviously don't seem to be. Lindsay, did that have a chilling effect at all on the COP? Uh, good cop, bad cop conference, considering the fact that you're not even supposed to be vaping in Panama. Not really. I mean, we we were pretty, we were open. And we also had people from Campaign for Tobacco Free Kids Global that showed up and asked what was going on. I think the one gentleman, the VP dude, uh, I'm not going to say his name now, was upset that I didn't initially recognize him. I recognized him once the name came through, but even then I didn't recognize what group he was. I just seen him in the delegates list and they were more than welcome to come join us. I mean, and I, if anything, it just made us, made me want to make sure that our event was much more transparent and that this is what you're seeing. And if you want to come in, like, Hey, I, we know you have an anti vaping message, CTFK, but you're more than welcome to come join us and, you know, I would have actually like rearranged the schedule to put them on a debate, you know, put them on a panel with some people. Um, I haven't been a referee. No, 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 you do not. We do not hit each other, people. Um, but I don't think I mean, I don't think that I knew we were going to get we already knew that Good Cop was on the radar. I mean, they had done a couple even prior to the November one that we had been on this um corporate accountability Bloomberg funded group um, and, and a couple other ones that they were talking about good cop. So we expected some press. I just didn't expect the amount of, um, I guess, just trying to paint us with a whole broad uh, stroke. And I don't think they were really well prepared to actually like see with what we put together with all of our experts. I mean, I think we really had a really good variety of consumer science and policy people that you can't sit here and say, oh, oh, it's all foundation. Oh, oh, it's all ENCO or whatever that they try to always smear us with. So I really appreciate that one. Another thing that uh, caught the eye of people on, at least in the Twitter sphere, the X sphere, uh, was this. It was a post by, by, I believe, somebody from the Spanish delegation, which said, uh, mocked up uh, vape device called cancer flavor. Yeah, well, what you can see from that is the brand is New Vapor, so they're trying to say that you know 
these things are only only there to try and get people addicted uh, rather than what we know most uh, users are uh, former smokers. That 100% there said 100% carcin carcinogenic, which is completely untrue. Um, you know, uh, there's now a community note on that that tweet that he's put up saying that he's talking nonsense. And what what's so horrifying about that is that was from a guy in the Spanish government. Uh, apparently, I think he's the Secretary of State for Health in the Spanish government. And, and, it's, and you know, vapes have nothing to do with cancer. You know, Cancer Research UK in the UK says nicotine does not cause cancer. I don't think the American, American uh, Cancer Society have ever said that vapes cause cancer. They don't like them, but I don't think they've ever said they cause cancer. If, if, I, if the WHO or the FCTC don't pull someone aside for that, take them to a back room and say, how dare you do that? You can't, you can't do this at our conference. You can't lie at our conference. But I don't expect they'll do anything because they're quite happy to have misinformation. You know, they, they're, they're excluding science that, that, that they don't like. Um, they're, they're promoting science that they do like, uh, however shonky it is and however, you know, they, some of the reports have, have uh, cited people like Stanton Glantz, for example. Um, there was a certain, they've, they've cherry-picked evidence all along. But just purely on a professional level, if you've got someone producing material like that, if I was running that conference, no matter how much I wanted um, to get rid of, of vaping products and whatever, I would still pull them aside and say, this is embarrassing, really embarrassing. Why are you doing that? That gives them ammunition to fire at us. And what on earth are you doing producing something that's so blatantly untrue? But I, I don't think the FCTC or the WHO would have taken them aside um, because I'm sure we would have seen an apology by now, but no, there hasn't been one. So the Global Alliance for Tobacco Control, who are they and what kind of impact did they have here um, during COP week and beyond? Uh, I'll open it up to either one of you. Well, okay, you know how COP watches? They're like COP watch, but they're the COP watch of, of the FCTC and they're definitely funded by Bloomberg. I mean, they're pretty much, they're like a PR firm extension of, of COP um, and get very limited stuff going on, but they've, I mean, they're under the they're, they're they're so aligned with all the other groups, all the stuff, all the other groups kind of republish all of their stuff. Martin, you know more about them than I do, but that's just from me, from an outsider perspective, on who the hell they were. Yeah, they're they're NGOs. They're a group of NGOs. They used to be called the Framework Convention Alliance. They changed their name, I think, last year to the Global Alliance of Tobacco Control, uh, and they they. They produce these bulletins. They always have done uh, every day of the conference, and the bulletins report on what's happening. They have articles in there written by by their their people, and they have these these awards. They have the Orchid Award for the countries they think are doing well, and um, and the Dirty Ashtray Award for countries they think are are not doing well. And it's I always call them the fan club. They're like the fan club, but but. I always wonder why countries will put up with this treatment to be criticised by these people because conference of the parties, the parties are the are the national governments. They're the boss here. They're the ones who make the decisions. The secretariat, FCT secretariat are just administrators and the NGOs are just people in the crowd, basically. They're audience. And yet they're allowed to criticise governments uh, and the WHO just lets them get on with it. And what they do during proceedings too... That was they gave Guatemala a dirty ashtray award this year for uh, delaying proceedings or something. Yeah, that's right. They give these dirty ashtray awards and, and it's done to humiliate and to try and um, almost bully, if you like, um, delegates to do the right thing. You know, and plus, they have access to them. They can go and sit next to them and talk to them. Uh, whereas consumers can't, we can't make our voice said. But they have, they, they have, and just to give you an idea about uh, who some of these people are, I mean, there were 225 anti-harm reduction NGO personnel in on the participation participation list for COP10. So Bloom, just Bloomberg funded organisation, 14 from the University of Bath. It's a university in in the UK. They had 14 delegates there. You had 40 for Four. campaign for DTFK had 40. Yeah, CTFK, they had 40, Corporate Accountability 11, 22 from Vital Strategies, and, and they're all going round. I mean, the, the Global Alliance of Tobacco Control had 50 there, and they'd, they'd just be going around talking to people. And, and then at the end of the day, they produce their bulletin, and they criticise governments who haven't been doing what they would like them to do. This is like the tail wagging the dog. 
the government should be in charge of this. They're the ones who pay the fees. They are the ones who make the t- decisions at COP10. And it constantly amuses me why governments put up with being humiliate, humiliated and abused by these NGOs. I mean, they're basically, like I said, they're the audience. They're the fan club. But the governments are the boss. They're the ones who make the decisions. They're the ones who are in charge. Why are they putting up with this treatment from these people? I don't know why, but that's the way it's always been. Well, they're more than just lobbyists, you know, for a cause that are allowed in. Uh, they're actually enforcers. Yeah, the, they talk about tobacco industry interference. This is interference in in a treaty, an international treaty from people who are just NGOs, non-governmental organisations. They're not governments. They shouldn't be having a say like this. They shouldn't be trying to influence governments. They should be keeping the hell out of it and keeping the reviews to themselves. One of the things that I wanted to bring up was the the final the final, uh, I guess, uh, spin from COP10. This is their release that came out on the February 10th. COP10 adopted historic decisions to protect the environment from the harms of tobacco and to address cross-border tobacco advertising, promotion, and sponsorship, and the depiction of tobacco in the entertainment media. You know, they failed to do anything on e-cigarettes and vaping, which was obviously the big promise um, it's the big newsworthy promise, um, and they didn't get anywhere on it. Um, and I'm shocked a bit that the whole tobacco environment historic decision that they came up with on the environment, you know, didn't have anything about e-cigarettes in it, considering that the environmental message around the waste of batteries and disposables is like one of the primary reasons why the UK went south on the issue. And they're talking about cigarette butts, but it also had to do a lot with the um, the youth contingent. And they 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 issued a press release what like two days ago, Martin, about that where I, it was the closing and doing the closing session press release. And I mean, they just again brought up about how it was so great that youth were here for the first first time ever, and youth are really big on the environment. So, and they're also, I mean, I love the children. Never gonna have any of my own. Uh, but like the their presence there, I think really kind of decided on what would be victories if you look at it. I mean, it was historic and victory for them to go after the environmental stuff. But again, if you're going after cigarette butts, you probably should have done that in 2007. You know, at your first cop. Yeah, there's, there's history behind this thing on the environment. In Brazil, I think, were the ones who proposed it. It wasn't actually on the agenda for COP10. Uh, they they introduced it. Uh, and it was accepted to be on the agenda, but but when it was when it was uh, um, they came to consensus on, there were amendments. So we don't quite know what's in it, and 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 how they've described it is pretty vague. It says the decision urges parties to take account of the environment environmental impacts from the cultivation, manufacture, consumption, and waste disposal of tobacco products, and to strengthen the strengthen the implementation of this article. So. It doesn't really say a lot. The, 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 I think there was an intention to to push through a ban on on filters, but we don't know because it's a bit amended if that's that's survived. And yeah, it was quite um, encouraging for us that the, they didn't concentrate on plastics or anything else. But you know, once they've got this um, Article 18 and they've approved it, and they'll be talking about more COP 11, you you just know they're going to try and introduce plastics and try and extend it to to vaping products as well it also makes you wonder too um and and what they gauge as what's successful um i know i mean it's our it was our first good cop so it's really hard we don't know it to be it's successful i think we were successful just because we got under we were mentioned by so many opponent organizations and that's what we wanted to do um gauging it so i honestly think on like thursday that the the you know group was the the secretariat group was like okay what did we actually have consensus on <laughs> like there's been a lot of debates going on what can we actually say you know that we were successful on um especially cuz yeah the whole lead up to it is what are you going to do about vaping what are you going to do about these and i'm not calling them emerging products anymore cuz vaping's been around han like invented this in 2003 you're talking about you're talking about 21 years of, of the modern e-cigarette. Snooze has been around for centuries, got and started getting in popularity in the 1990s. So these aren't novel products anymore. Um, 
there's novel regulation with them, I guess is the way to put it. Um, and also a lot of countries going under the guidance of the WHO, which is just taking a prohibitionist stance um, for many of these products being used in a commercial sense. But yeah, they're not arguing for, you know, the prescription model for access to cigarettes. So again, what is the, like the, it was designed, you know, reading through the history of the FCTC to get, you know, reduce the burdens related to smoking. But now it just seems like they're trying to shut down anything that's related to tobacco industry. Um, I know I was reading something the other day from one of the, you know, NGOs that's supported by Bloomberg and they're, they're talking about, you know, doing a summary of the conference and they're like justifying why the lack of transparency and their justification was, um, you know, to keep it closed doors so that the tobacco industry doesn't interfere with it. And that's the new buzzword right now is tobacco industry interference. So anybody who's watching and that is involved with anything, harm reduction, tobacco harm reduction, don't be surprised if you get called, you know, tobacco industry interference. Yeah, that is, you know, what they're saying. And it's not just cop, but it's their, their supporters around tobacco control. And this is one of the sources that I always find fun to read, which is the Health Policy Watch. And so their summation on this was the WHO FCTC Conference of the Parties adopts new decision on curbing tobacco's environmental impacts, but sidesteps e-cigarettes. And throughout this article, they keep hammering home the point that Lindsay was just making, and that was it is big tobacco that's created this concept of tobacco harm reduction, and they've utilized that to sway certain countries which got in the way and obstructed what the good work that COP10 was trying to do. Yeah, and and you notice in that that I can't. I'm just going through it now because I remember reading it. There were, there was one guy who said, "Well, it doesn't doesn't matter. You can still go ahead with these things." I mean, that's that's kind of the attitude they seem to have. It's like um, we're going to do this anyway. Um, who cares what about the decisions are? Um, uh, yeah, they they were frustrated, and they everyone who spoke against them, uh, they said were industry. I think the most blatant one was was in the opening plenary where they got the woman from the Netherlands. I don't know who she is, maybe a government minister or something, and she came out and she said, uh, "Vaping products are have, were invented by the tobacco industry to um, to addict young people because because they're losing sales." Well, that's completely 100% untrue. I mean, they weren't. They were invented by Hon Lick, uh, you know, in China in 2003. It was consumers who took it into their sheds and and made them into something useful and set up independent businesses. It wasn't until nearly 10 years later that Lorillard in America bought Blue, the first time uh, tobacco industry had ever been involved in these things. And I don't know about the figures elsewhere, but in the UK, the, the size of the market taken by tobacco industry is about 12%. So this is completely 100% untrue. She just lied in front of these people. And and again, no one pulled up from the WHO or the FCTC because they don't care if she's lying because that's the message they want to tell people. They just want to say everyone who disagrees with us is tobacco industry. It's tobacco industry behind all of this. Well, and when they said, I think it was someone else in the plenary said, oh, the tobacco industry puts um, cartoon characters and lots and lots of flavours. Well, that's exactly what the tobacco industry doesn't do. Their ones don't have any uh, real array of flavors they're pretty bland and they certainly don't have to uh, cartoon characters that's irresponsible or illegal sellers doing that um it's nothing to do with the tobacco industry but they think if they just keep saying tobacco industry tobacco industry tobacco industry you know you're a consumer you're tobacco industry everyone's a tobacco industry um, if they think they can, they can just say that and and they're going to manipulate the public now it, again i'm putting myself in their shoes i would want to do something the right way i don't want to get policies uh, through by manipulating the public. I want to get them through because they actually mean something and because it's the truth of thing and the right thing to do for public health. But the WHO isn't interested in public health when it comes to this this treaty. They are not remotely interested. They just want what they want and they'll use any tactics they can do, they can use to get it through. They don't really don't care about the truth or anything else. Well, I think to piggyback off of it, it's kind of amazing um... I, that it, it is a consumer driven revolution. Uh, tobacco industry did not get involved with e-cigarettes, definitely in the States until after there was, you know, thousands of small e-cigarette manufacturers. And even now the, the, and sure it's in the UK too, and around the country that you have easy access to it, you know, with vape shops that 
you know, these are small businesses um, and it is consumer. It, it, what I love about the e-cigarettes and even the whole, you know, all the novel tobacco, the novel, there I'm using that word, all the other technologies is that you kind of force big tobacco to change, which is like the WHO couldn't even do. They've signed this treaty in 2005. And instead of like, they were just so focused on shuttering, you know, the tobacco industry rather than getting them to change the products that were they were coming out. And it was the consumers using these safer products that were like, oh, wait, you know, we're going to start, we, maybe we should go down this line and everything. But I love it because you're using a safer product. And I like, I have a big issue with disposables myself, but Martin and I met, we, we coming back from uh, Good Cop in Panama, we had a, we both rode the same flight back to, we had to lay over in Miami. We ended up hanging out at this um, place that you can smoke in the airport, smoke and vape in there. And we were talking to a 72 year old who was using a disposable and he had quit smoking three years ago when he was 69 years old. Oh, and he's an anesthesiologist. So he's a doctor. Um, and he had actually moved from a pod system to a disposable and it just convenience likes the flavor. Um, and I, so I, as much of problems as I have with those product category, I cannot deny their efficacy and being a harm reduction tool. And that's just really unfortunate with the WHO and especially watching COP10 that you let all these youth activists, these kids who are more likely never to have been to be using a product, a, a, a cigarette or an e-cigarette in their life, but are being fed their Bloomberg associated organization. And the rhetoric that they are spilling is literally the same rhetoric, at least that good cop, even if there was any associations with us, with any of the big bad tobacco people, all of our messaging is different. We all are unique voices. We all had a unique experience on this because we've actually been personally impacted by it. I don't think there was a single expert, maybe a couple of them that actually didn't ever smoke or were still vaping. I mean, some of our doctors were said it would have vaped on the panels if we would have let them, you know? So, and I, that's just, I don't think that the, again, it goes back to what does the WHO consider a successful conference? What does the FCTC consider a, a, a successful treaty? Um, countries adopting their policies, even though their policies may not fit into that. I know with their whole plain packaging pack um, policy, we can't do that in the United States because our free speech laws. I mean, and again, you have to look at what's right for the country. And again, looking what's right for the consumer. And that's why tobacco harm reduction, I think, has been so effective and moving so many adults away because it does tend to you can personalize it as a consumer versus just having a very few limited options from, you know, approved by the WHO or FDA. Can I just can I just add to that when when um, Lindsay mentioned the youth there, I mean, um, these youth groups, like I said, they're indirectly funded um, by Bloomberg because they're funded by the Global Centre for Good Governance in Tobacco Control, which is in turn funded by Bloomberg. So they are Bloomberg funded kids. Uh, they're not grassroots in any any way, shape or form. Uh, they they said to they were allowed in and, and the WHO said it's wonderful the kids are getting their say. Well, you know, consumers aren't allowed their say, but it's great these kids are getting their say. And they came out with this astonishing statement. They said the interests of smokers should never serve as justification for legitimizing products that could send even a single child down the path of addiction. I mean, that is astonishing. They're basically saying that adult smokers' lives are, are basically dispensable. You know, the, uh, um, you know, youth might, might take up vaping and have an, a mild addiction um, with very mild harms, coughing, you know, coughing headaches, whatever, um, or un indistinguishable apocryphal harms. But no one, no one, not one smoker should be allowed to quit smoking using these products if it means just one single youth uh, gets addicted. That is an astonishing thing to say when you have, what, what is it, 8 million deaths of adult smokers throughout the world. And they're basically throwing all those people under the bus. I mean, that is a shocking thing. So, I mean, even if they were grassroots, someone should take them aside and say, really, you shouldn't be saying those things. But what's astonishing about that statement by these kids is that it made the closing speech of Adriana, Mar Adriana um, uh, Blanco Marquito's uh, closing speech to, and she's the head of the FCTC, and she thought that was a fantastic statement, so much that she put it in her closing speech. I mean, these people are just wrong. I mean, that, I mean, have they no political 
strategy or, or antenna whatsoever to, to realize that is a disgraceful thing to say for a, a WHO, a, a, a United Nations organization to basically say smokers all over the world are dispensable um, because these kids say that they shouldn't have in one of them get, enjoying nicotine. It's just, I, I mean, I, I'm staggered that they can be so desperate to, to allow those sort of things to be said and to endorse them. Well, it's totalitarian at its very core. Absolutely, yeah. Mm. It's a technocrat. They're technocrats. I mean, it's very um, and very world nanny organization is what they really need to. And the WNO is what we should be t- calling it. I mean, if these, if these kids, if if these kids are, if they say they're genuine, which we know they're not, have they ever thought that that okay, their their parents might not smoke, but all over the world, kids their own age have parents who smoke. They're throwing all those kids' parents under the bus, all their mums and dads and uncles and aunts. They're throwing them under the bus. I mean, that is the most selfish thing you can ever hear from from a young person, isn't it? And they, I, can't, I just don't see how anyone can find that acceptable. Well, look, when you're utilizing, when you're using kids to make ideology uh, happen, like they're doing, then it's perfectly acceptable. And I mean, throughout history, that's that's what you do. You use kids to do that. Think about the climate change issue. They, you, they've got these kids brainwashed in the exact same way. There's no uh, critique. There's no breadth of understanding. And they just simply tunnel visioned. And that idea is it's the same. And I hate to bring up climate change, but it's the most similar thing to what's been going on in tobacco harm reduction that I can point to. That, well, just their focus on the future. I think with the the closing statement that, uh, that Secretariat did that was just surprising to me. So you're so like you're so focused on the future, but when you look at the raw numbers of like when that when it was signed, um, the FCTC was signed. There was one point like two one point two billion, one point two five billion people smoking around the world. Now it's one point three billion. So it's te- it's technically an increase, and there's population increases. But just to think about how much it could have been lowered. Um, and especially like I, I look at the data and I was looking at some of the data in other countries too, just among young people. I mean, smoking, combustible cigarette smoking has been all but eradicated. So having these youth here at this conference is supposed to be about tobacco smoke and not paying attention to the people who have been smoking for 60 years and cannot quit, but they might be able, and they've used the, the you know, WHO endorsed products already that have been widely available for 20 plus years and still unable to quit smoking. It's just astonishing to me. And also it should be astonishing to taxpayers around the world. You sent, you used your taxpayer funding to go to that, you know, to send your delegates over there and they really didn't get any insight, you know, onto anything else. I think most countries, I think the majority of countries that followed most of the NPOWER, you know, protocols, the high taxes, banning indoor smoking, um, you know, underage sales, plain pad, some, you know, restriction, advertising restrictions, those, you know, tenants, but it just just seems like a waste of time. And I think there was a really scathing editorial and from the Panama in a Panama newspaper, like just two days ago, talking about how it was a big waste of money. It was a big waste of money for them bringing these delegates over there. It's not like it's the um, Olympic Games where you're going to get a lot of tourism and infrastructure building or anything. It just seemed like a big cocktail party, I think, is what it, it turns into Google translation for. And that's really what it seems like it was. It just seems like a big meet and greet that they did. And I mean, they didn't get much accomplished. Uh, and they've spent most of their time complaining about people like me and Martin and TPA and all of our experts. And then the other side, you know, uh, opponent groups, opponents of the WHOs. But again, the consumers and the people that their policies are going to dramatically affect. Yeah, it, it was it was. Exactly. I, I saw those those articles. You know, there was there was earlier in the year or last year there were uh, Panamanian people saying, "Why are we spending five million dollars on this conference when we can't afford incubators for newborn kids?" I mean, it's, it's it, you know, it's one of those things that there was a little bit of anger about it in in Panama. Um, and when they've gone there, they haven't made too many decisions. But um, but 
you know, I, I suppose it's probably probably good that they didn't because what their their ambitions were pretty appalling and and grubby, and uh, and so we've we've got past and they haven't really done a lot. They've done the environment. They've 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 uh, uh, found consensus on Article 13 on tobacco advertising promotion and sponsorship. Um, and little much else. The, the substantive things with the big threats haven't really gone through, but they will come back in COP11. Um, we'll have to be on guard. And I've, I've already said that consumers have got to start planning for COP11 now. Um, we, we can't let them go. So did we squeak by or did we log a win here? I, I think, you know, I, I watched all those statements and there were a lot of them were just kowtowing to the WHO, but there was... There were a number of them. You know, remember two years ago, or, or not more than two years ago now because of the postponement, it, it COP9, Philippines astounded everyone by coming out and saying, we're going to regulate this problem, we're not going to ban them. There were a number of countries who said we need to embrace harm reduction. Not in so many words, but they said we we, we, were, we are thinking of harm reduction, we're, we're putting it into our local policies. Um, uh, New Zealand, like I said, I've mentioned New Zealand, Armenia, uh, Guatemala, um, you know, St. Kitts and Nevis. There were more people saying, look, come on, you've got to look at this. You know, we're living in the real world here. We're not living in your ideological one. Um, these things are out, these products are around. If you go and prohibit them, you're just going to have massive black markets. Yeah, we're looking at these things. We're going to regulate them. I mean, uh, Philippines and New Zealand, I think, were the best two, um, apart from St. Kitts. But that's that's pragmatism. That's 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 just real world um, reaction to how the, how things are going, and that's what the WHO should be doing. And surely now it's got to drop its its prohibitionist stance, and it's just got to start thinking sensibly. If it really cares about reducing smoking-related disease and death, it's got to look at these products and think, how can we incorporate them? Because there are more and more countries regulating now. Last year, uh, or yeah, um, I think 2022 was the year of Asia, uh, with the Philippines and um, and Thailand are looking, I think, to regulate, and other, other countries around there. And uh, last year and, and this year, it, it seems to be Latin America, South America is doing it. We already have Western nations like New Zealand, UK, uh, Sweden, who are having a better approach. So all over the world, this this stuff's changing, the environment's changing. And it's about time the WHO really recognized this and started thinking uh, what is actually happening rather than what they'd like to happen. 